This is District Sentinel Radio. It's that newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash districtsentinel. We're going to read some haiku at the end of the show for our new subscribers over at Patreon. We've got a bit of a a backlog since I uh, screwed up and poured water on my computer last week. Um, But we're okay. Everything is okay here. And uh, we uh, banged out some haiku, so uh, I'm looking forward to reading some poetry at the end of the show. Sam, uh, how was your weekend? I don't think uh, you've updated us on the garden recently. Oh, uh, the the garden is going well. Uh, We are harvesting a healthy amount of tomatoes over here. Nice. And um, are you having some uh, tomato sandwiches or some tomato toast? Tomato toast, yes. We definitely have had some of that. Uh, Just taking the tomatoes and putting it on a piece of toast with some olive oil, some herbs from the garden too, maybe a little thyme, Mm. and uh, just... Uh, A poor poor man's avocado toast, if you will. It's a poor man... Well, it's... uh, it's kind of a dish already. It's a, uh, a Catalonian thing called uh, pan con tomate. Mm. And it's basically just tomatoes uh, crushed onto garlic bread, and it's delicious. Mm. Mm. It kind of sounds like bruschetta. Sort of, yes. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. I wish, uh, I wish we weren't in quarantine and I could sample your garden a little bit. Actually, you can just come over. We can hang out in the back. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes I just get uh, lazy and use the quarantine as an excuse not to leave the house and then get called out on it and uh, have to come up with another excuse to not leave the house. I'll, uh, I'll get back to you on that. It's Monday, August 10th, 2020. Here's the news. President Trump is trying to sidestep Congress to extend emergency programs that expired 10 days ago. On Saturday, he signed executive orders asking top health officials to explore the idea of a nationwide eviction moratorium for health reasons. Trump also ordered the restoration of some pandemic unemployment benefits, $400 of the weekly $600 payments. The White House is seeking to fund these payments until December or until a $25 billion fund runs out, assuming Congress doesn't act to restore the benefits. The White House also issued an order deferring payroll taxes and offering other types of assistance, including the extension of student debt relief. President Trump is seeking to fund all of this with CARES Act money and with cash from the FEMA Disaster Relief Fund. It's likely this will be challenged in court, The payroll tax deferral has attracted criticism from those concerned that the maneuver will undermine Social Security, and that alone is uh, probably going to lead to a lot of challenges. But even if it's all upheld, it's unclear how much of an impact the orders will actually have. On the unemployment issue, state governments are required to fund 25% of payments, and they're already completely strapped for cash at the moment. Forbes noted that Ohio's Republican governor, Mike DeWine, has said he isn't sure if his state will be able to afford the White House's plan. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo already ruled it out. 
Today, White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany couldn't give a timeline when asked when the payments would come. How quickly can Americans expect to see that extra $400 of unemployment insurance? So we hope to see it quickly um, and close to immediately. I don't have an exact readout for you on time, but a lot of this will depend on states um, and them applying. They will probably never apply because the orders will likely be rescinded. Today, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin told CNBC that he believed Democrats are, quote, willing to compromise and that a second relief package will come soon. It seems the EOs are 100% for the campaign trail, and they will likely work knowing Nancy Pelosi and her gourmet ice cream freezer. The number of coronavirus infections in the U.S. has now topped 5 million. Over 162,000 people in the country have died. Many schools that decided to reopen despite the pandemic are now being forced to close, including North Paulding High School in Georgia, where a viral photo was taken showing a crowded hallway with few masks. That school threatened to suspend the student who took the photo before eventually deciding against it. The school is now closing, moving to remote learning. The nation's prisons, however, continue to spread the virus. The top 10 viral clusters in the U.S. right now continue to be all prisons, Another three inmates in federal custody died at the end of last week, bringing the total so far this month to six deaths that have been reported, at least. Sentinel shadow producer Matt Sostock has been keeping tabs on some of the individuals who have died behind bars. Uh, Pretty sad stories here, including a few particularly disturbing deaths that happened at the end of last month. Uh, Eugene Griffin, on July 24th, was taken to a hospital from the state penitentiary in Atlanta with an elevated pulse and low oxygen. He was diagnosed with COVID and released two days later where he was placed in isolation. And then three days after that, he was diagnosed with COVID pneumonia and a week following was put into hospice comfort care, basically just uh, just uh, put into isolation until he died. Taiwan Davis tested positive in Illinois on July 29th and died a week later. No other info was provided by the Bureau of Prisons on that case. Taiwan uh, was only 39 years old. Safaria Johnson was a mother of two young children sentenced to four years for identity theft. Johnson petitioned for compassionate release but was denied. Her mother was never told of a confirmed diagnosis until news release of Safaria's death. Safari was only 36 years old. According to the latest count from the Bureau of Prisons, there are currently 2,017 federal inmates with COVID-19 plus 542 staff. Looks like the old Kodak switcheroo might be off after all. Late last month, the company and the Trump administration announced a deal on a $765 million loan so that the former film giant could be revived as a pharmaceutical company. The loan centered around an executive order in response to the pandemic and also hinged on the Defense Production Act. Kodak was reportedly looking to produce, among other items, hydroxychloroquine, which doesn't actually work for treating COVID-19, as we are all aware by now, no matter how bad the president wants it to work. The credit had been set to go through the International Development Finance Corporation, but late on Friday, the agency tweeted that the money was being held up because, quote, recent allegations of wrongdoing raised serious concerns. 
We will not proceed any further unless these allegations are cleared, the DFC added. No press release was issued, just tweets. Kodak stock responded to the news this morning by plummeting 40% after the opening bell, though it's still slightly higher than it was before the deal was initially announced. Stock prices are at the heart of alleged mischief. Kodak stands accused of botching disclosures related to the loan. Journalists in Rochester, New York, the company's headquarters, had reported news of the deal 24 hours before they were supposed to, according to the company. Per SEC rules, Kodak was then supposed to break the embargo themselves and announce the deal. Instead, they asked the journalists to take down their stories and tweets and then re-announce the deal the next day, whereupon Kodak's stock skyrocketed by 200%. Also on the day of the false start, Kodak awarded 1.75 million stock options to CEO Jim Continenza. The New York Times said they were worth as much as $50 million after the formal announcement. Also, according to the Wall Street Journal, there was no actual embargo on the news release sent by Kodak to journalists in Rochester. The SEC is investigating, as requested by House and Senate Democrats, hence the DFC putting this all on hold. Anyway, capitalism clearly didn't work for Kodak in the long run. Trump's economic nationalism is off to a rocky start. Looks like there's only one way left to go forward with the company. We got to nationalize Kodak and let the workers run it. Sounds like an idea to me. Calls to abolish the Department of Homeland Security just got a lot louder. Over the weekend, the ACLU called for the dismantling of the department. The organization said on Twitter, quote, nearly 20 years of abuse, waste and corruption demonstrate the failure of the DHS experiment. Many knew DHS to be an ineffective super agency, but President Trump has converted DHS into our government's most notable badge of shame, end quote. In an op-ed published in USA Today, the director of the ACLU, Anthony Romero, writes, In recent weeks, the actions of federal agents have shown us all that the Department of Homeland Security isn't capable of acting consistently with the Constitution and should no longer exist in its current state, end quote. Romero notes that this isn't su- Romero noted that this isn't surprising and that back in 2002, the ACLU warned against the creation of DHS. Meanwhile, it appears that acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf and his acting Deputy Secretary Ken Cuccinelli are consolidating power within the department, NBC News reporting that whistleblowers within DHS's Office for Civil Rights and Civil Liberties have come forward to say that they're being locked out of the decision-making process and having their concerns about new enforcement tactics completely ignored. Specifically, the office raised alarm about new use of force tactics that had been approved, including the use of chemical weapons. Hmm. This comes after Deputy Secretary Cuccinelli signed an order formally cutting the Office for Civil Rights and Civil Liberties out from doing oversight of department intelligence activities. The NBC report goes on to reveal that, quote, three career officials from CBP and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, DHS's two largest law enforcement bodies, say they are increasingly being kept in the dark about new policies and planned operations, seemingly both to prevent leaks and to accelerate new policies in line with the White House's wishes. Secretary Wolf testified before the Senate last week where he defended his department's brutal actions in Portland. Quote, our law enforcement officers are not the Gestapo, stormtroopers, or thugs, he told senators. 
answering questions that were apparently already answered by his t-shirt. That'll do it for the newscast today. That music means we are moving on to the poetry portion of the show where we read haiku for all the new subscribers over at patreon.com slash district sentinel. This first one goes out to Michael and Adrian. Senator Ben Sass, or as I like to call him, Senator Ben's ass. Boom. Done. Roasted. Thank you, Michael and Adrian. This is for Beth. My license is gone. Can't practice medicine as Dr. P. Bucket. Shame. Thank you, Beth. This is for Damien. Grover Norquist's wrong about drowning governments unless DHS. <laughs> Thank you, Damien. This is for Cthulhu Cultist. Enough U.S. shit. Time to balkanize this place. No more USA. Thank you, Cthulhu Cultist. Finally, this is for Ruru. Could God make a truck so big that even he could not drive the damn thing? Thank you, Ruru. Yes, thank you, Ruru, and thanks to all the new subscribers. We're going to read some more poetry on tomorrow's newscast. Thank you for listening. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.